Hi everyone and welcome to the Panama Podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. Um, I'm really delighted you're here and I'm really excited to welcome um, a returning guest, a friend of mine, somebody I've done a lot of work with, been on their podcast as well. Um, Maria French, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Hi James, how are you? I'm pretty good. It's it's lockdown. It's lockdown, yeah. <laughs> yeah as good as lockdown can be. We're recording in um, February. Mm-hmm. So still in lockdown at the moment. It may not be in lockdown by the time we, by the time this goes out. Who knows? You never know. <laughs> um, yes. Um, and Maria's been on before. Uh, she was a guest with Barry Taylor and um, from my friends at H&Co, who are doing incredible work. And uh, I would definitely advise you to check them out. Uh, yeah, we're going to have a really great conversation today. So um, how, how have you been doing? I'm good. As you know, I'm in your country, in the UK. I'm in England uh, with my new British husband of two months. Just a few days ago, we passed the two-month mark. And so we are just as locked down as you, and it there's just no end in sight. It's just, it's pretty, pretty crazy, but um, understandable and appreciative of, you know, the strong stance on public health that the UK and other nations in Europe are taking at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm really, I'm really glad that yeah, for lockdown. Um, at least they're taking it seriously. I mean, I'm not a fan of how, of some of the things that that you know that they've done over here. How slow they were to do a lot of things, uh, and just to kind of seem to be winging it for quite a while. But mm-hmm. this time now they've rolled out. They've rolled out the vaccine pretty well, pretty efficiently. Yeah. Um, yeah. During the lockdown, um, they finally got it right. So hopefully. Yeah, by the summer, um, we might be going out again and doing things again. Yeah, and I mean, they're, they're set to open schools soon in March. In early March, they'll, they'll open schools. Um, I mean, schools are open now, but only for children with who whose parents are essential workers or who can't find childcare. So schools will be fully open, I think, again, by March 6th-ish, or at least that's when they're going to start it. So they're saying by April, maybe end of April, you know, things will start easing for the rest of us. But Simon and I, my husband and I were trying to figure out this morning on our walk, how long have we really been on lockdown? And it has been months <laughs> and months now. Yeah. So. Yeah, it has. I mean, when you think they went into kind of the short term lockdown in late October, mm-hmm. uh, in the UK, uh, and we've been in basically in that ever since, you know, we had a little hiatus in the summer, like July, August, September time um when things were getting better and then after that it's been pretty much locked down ever since so yeah and actually brings us to the subject we're going to talk about today it's very um appropriate because um one of the things that i know you talk about in your work a lot is um how we move forward from the pandemic and the consequences of the pandemic for culture for society and for um, spiritual community, church, yeah, uh, and what that's going to look like for all of us. Um, what have been the things that you've been reflecting on that have uh, that have come to mind and you've been discussing about this kind of over the last last few months? 
Yeah, so much. So last March, when it all started to happen, Barry Taylor and I, who is my colleague and the co-creator of H and Co, and we do this work together. You know, we kind of put our normal program on hold, and our normal program is all about the intersections of culture and theology and faith and meaning and um, society. And you know, we do a lot of work in terms of Christianity and the future and kind of new lenses and new language and and all of these things. So it's not like our work wasn't already kind of, you know, headed in this direction, but we really got very specific and we do these culture classes every month. And so we did our, a culture class on solitude because everybody immediately went into this four state of loneliness or aloneness, you know, solitude and that kind of thing. And we really came at it from a historical and philosophical perspective. Um, and we thought, you know, we, we just kind of watched and we were researching and we were seeing all the trends that were happening, not only in society, but of course, you know, within churches and in faith communities, because that is the line of work that we're in. And, you know, we saw this big problem of, well, there were a couple issues going on. The first, you know, a lot of churches were not set up to go digital and virtual as fast as they needed to. And I think a lot of churches in particular really kind of push against the progression and the movement forward of technology and digitality, either because they're scared of it or they don't see a proper reason for it. Or I've heard more times than I can tell you, and I always challenge pastors and leaders on this kind of language because it's not helpful and it's not funny and it's not cute. You know, oh, I'm just so bad at technology and, you know, the newfangled contraptions. And no, you don't get to say that in 2021, you know, especially if you're under 50, really under 60. You know, but I heard pastors saying this like around 40 years old and I was, you know, just like, no. So, you know, you had the problem of, of people not being able to get online and go digital fast enough because they just weren't set up for it. And then the other issue that we saw was arising that people were moving their congregations and kind of their faith communities online, but they weren't changing anything about it. They simply were taking what they were doing in person and just moving it online. And that is not how that works. And a lot of times it's it's not appropriate. <laughs> you know, the, the message doesn't work with the medium. Um, and you can't just take like, you know, your, your regular Sunday sermons, uh, as, as you would preach them in a building to a live audience <laughs> in front of a pulpit and just do that, um, online. And so there was kind of a lot of awkwardness, a kind like a lot of sort of square pegs and round holes and people were just kind of, you know, stumbling all over the place. And so we really started to have conversations and interrogate you know, some of the ways in which we communicate to faith communities as leaders, because it wasn't working digitally. And you have to ask the question, why? Well, what were you doing in person that's not working digitally? And then that begs the question, was even working in person? And a lot of times the answer is not really. <laughs> and a lot of times, you know, the the deeper answer is, well, it's because our theology is just so outdated, and outmoded and unhelpful and needs to be be renewed. Um, anyway, that was probably a longer answer than you than you wanted for that. But it's a big question and it's something I can probably go on about for a while. No, I think you're right. It, it, yeah, it was in many senses. It was like wake up. This has been going on already. Yeah, like, you probably should have been doing this ten years ago, right? Yeah. This yeah. technology was, has been around for a long time. Yeah, there have been people who have not been able to come to church. You know, dis people with disabilities, older people who maybe can't travel anymore, or any kind of reason. Yeah. Um, they, they people churches should have been offering this kind of thing anyway. 
And some were. I mean, some churches were offering it. But, uh, yeah, like, I mean, it's incredible, isn't it, how, and I've noticed, I noticed this when I was kind of in the church regularly and being brought up in the church. Like, they were always so behind with technology, always just like the last oh, adopters of yeah. everything. Like, and even then it was like forced and it was like, you know, just the least, the, the bare minimum, you know. And it's, and I was always like, we should be at the forefront of this stuff, not the last. Yeah, we should be the first adopters, not the last adopters. Like, if we, you know, people talk about how, you know, the church or Christianity isn't relevant. Well, it, when, when they're so behind on things like this, that kind of fuels that, that idea, doesn't it? It kind of fuels that idea that, yeah, oh, Christianity is in the past and we have to just leave it in the past. You know, that, that's, that's the kind of idea that it gives. Yeah, well, and you know, an idea and a concept like change is really complex when it comes to church and traditional Christianity, because traditional Christianity is based on this set of principles that are assumed and taken for granted as absolutes and universals. And we know that they're not. It's crazy that anything would be absolute um, because everything is constructed within a particular social location and a particular context. And our subjectivity is a major player in the experiences that we all have in life, whether it's our own subjectivity or someone else's, regardless on what's on the other side that is partnering with our subjectivity to create those experiences, sacred or profane or otherwise. Um, and so when we just say, you know, this, this, these are a, a, a fixed set of realities that um, we have some fixed narratives that don't change and don't move and don't progress and don't allow themselves to be molded and, you know, plastic and all of these things. And then you come to something like a pandemic that requires a massive amount of change. It's like, okay, is change good or is change bad? And change has kind of been the enemy for so long, but now we know we need to change. And so what does that mean? And, um, you know, for, Part of the work I do is because Christianity and faith paradigms are in very steep decline, particularly in Western nations. And, you know, all the statistics are kind of showing, you know, obviously the the deep depression and, and decline, especially in Christianity. Um, and the people who are staying, you know, the word on the street is, well, I love the community and I love being a part of this body. And I love that my kids have other kids to play with. And, you know, my friends are here and I have the Bible study and I have the this and I have the that. Um, I don't really love the theology, but I can kind of ignore that because I have this amazing in-person community. And then you take the in-person community away from these people who are already you know, these churches, their theology are already rubbing people the wrong way, but they're staying because of the connection. You take the connection away and then you just have really shoddy theology, <laughs> you know, um, that's being communicated through the through virtual waves. And so then what, you know, then it's really forcing people, you know, to say, you know, do, do I even need this in my life? And if I need it, why? And I think people are doing that across the board. Microsoft just came out the other day that they're ending their, you know, 40 hour, a week work week. And, you know, 90% of Microsoft workers now have the option to work at home forever and change their contracts that way. Um, you know, and so people are finding that you actually don't need to be in person to do some of these things and have these parts of life that, that are so integral. And so I think people in the church and pastors and leaders and denominational bodies and all kinds of people connected to institutional Christianity are going to have to grapple with those as well. I don't think they want to, 
but they're going to have to. <laughs> yeah. um, I think there's also quite a bit of denial going on as well. I don't know how much you follow Church of England news or statements that they put out. Do you, do you ever kind of? I haven't, I haven't, I haven't checked for, for a while. Um, no. What, what, what do you? Uh, yeah, what, I don't, I don't check doing? often and I do have to protect my peace and have some boundaries. <laughs> things just drive me crazy, James, like all the time. Things I read, they just drive me nuts. But um, yeah, a couple I months ago, um, the leaders of the Church of England, you know, the the high up uh, bishops and vicars and, you know, whatever they call themselves, um, you know, they, they put out this statement and they talked about, you know, we're going to be seeing renewal, you know, after the pandemic. And, you know, Christians have always been people of hope and and we're going to be, you know, emulating Christ and, and coming together as the church in new and unusual ways. And, you know, it was really interesting. There was one line that said, it's not so much that we're so clever, um, but it's that God is faithful and the church of England will be different. And I just thought, you for, Church of England will be around for a long time just because they have so much money. But the Church of England has kind of been dead in the water for a really long time. In fact, one of the bishops, maybe, I don't know how many years ago, not many, maybe like two or three, was a part of an interview in which he said, um, I really don't know what to tell uh, Christians and people about meaning in the 21st century. I, I don't know. I don't know what the church means in the 21st century, you know, but they come out and they make these statements, you know, it's not that we're so clever, but God is, well, but who is God and faithful to what exactly? And why do you think the church of England will be so different? But how, you know, are you, are you simply counting on that once the pandemic is over, that you're going to swing open the doors and that everybody by default will be so desperate for a connection that they'll kind of come flooding through the doors and so you'll have success for a time because of def. I mean, wh where are you from? Where are you making these projections? Um, because nothing about the Church of England has thrived for a very long time. But you read this article by these bishops, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we've we've been thrive thriving for all this time, and we've been you know Christ centered, and God is faithful, and we're going to be emerging and really new and on you." But what? How? Like what? What are you doing? And and when you talk about being Christ-centered, when you talk about being Christ, I mean, what does that even mean um, to you? And how are you communicating that? So um, yeah. that was so emblematic, not only of the the Church of England institution, but just like the the this plane on which you know Western and traditional Christianity finds itself at the moment. I think there's a lot of speaking going on and it's just fumes. Like I read that statement. I was like, that's being set on fumes. That's being run on fumes. There's no gas in that tank. There's no plan. <laughs> um, and I think a lot of pastors, not only in England, but in a lot of places um, probably have these very deep hopes that people will be so desperate for connection that they'll, they'll return and come back. Um, but I, I don't think it will be, that simple. I agree. Uh, I'm, I'm not surprised by people thinking that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like you say, it's it's completely the the, the wrong approach. Um, people do need connection. People will always need connection and community and support uh, to grow and thrive and. Be healthy as human beings. We that we're wired for that, um, yeah. but 
the church isn't the only place that provides that now. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's lots of, uh, exactly. and and people can find that in lots of other places. And yeah, that's kind of complacent. It's almost naive attitude. Um, it's so naive, and it was honestly really yeah. boring. Like I'm like I'm bored yeah. by this. There's nothing exciting about any of this. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, once people start talking about like, oh, God is fit, it's like, sorry, that that is a filler word for we don't know what's going on and we don't know what to do and we don't want to take responsibility. So we'll just out and out say we're not so clever and God is faithful. And that is just, just, yeah, um, yeah. God is yeah. faithful is like a code for we have no idea what we're doing. No, we have no idea what's yeah. going on. We have no idea how this is going to turn out at all. Yeah. But we're just going to vaguely say God is faithful because it will somehow work itself out. And it sounds good to people, you know, that, um, yeah, I mean, God just becomes this word for a catch all for things that we can't explain in life and that's okay. But then just be really honest about what you mean when you say those things and be really honest about what you mean when you say the word God. Um, because if God is faithful and I would have to ask you faithful to what, and I would make you think and tell me <laughs> if you're going to give me this answer, then you're going to have to be able to explain it. Um, you know, that really forces our concepts and our constructs of God to be seriously, um, interrogated and agitated and interrupted because if God is faithful to what, which I'll ask the person saying it to define for me, then tell me how we got in this pandemic mess in the first place, (laughs) you know, tell me how we have, you know, um, COVID-19 continuing to mutate and the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer and climate change and systemic racism and, you know, January 6th at the U S Capitol. Like, tell me, you know, if God is faithful, you know? Yeah. This is why these people who are, who, and I respect people who talk to, who say what I'm going to say, but people who say, oh, people prayed for 50 years for uh, communism to end. And, and and then the Berlin Wall fell. And I'm like, what? So 50 years later, it took 50 years, right? So had to be faithful, quote unquote. Right, forgot to be faithful, yeah. Like, and um, what what what's that about? You know, you could have done it any time in those 50 years. You know, this is an <laughs> argument against God or the existence of God, that or you know how how God might you know break into our world. That's this has nothing to do with this. Has everything to do with the very harmful, um, you know, and contradictory language that Christians use to talk about God, which actually hurt and deflect more than it helps. Yeah, that's right. That's why religious certainty is so damaging because it, it hides, it hides you from the reality. It detaches you from the reality. It makes you feel safer, like, because you don't have to deal with the reality. And the reality is much more painful and traumatic um, than actually, you know, than just hiding in hiding uncertainty. And it's almost easier, you know, uh, to hide uncertainty. You know, it's comfortable. It's like almost safe. It feels safe when you're in it because I've been in it, and it feels safe when you're in it. And you think, well, I, you know, you know, I'm not like them. <laughs> and you know it's uh it's only when you come out of it and i'm now obviously out of it a long out of it now you think wow gosh i 
I was so blind. I was just like, not, I had no idea. Like, yeah. um, I wasn't dealing with anything. I was hiding from everything. Yeah. And actually you can have a much deeper, richer, more intimate relationship with the divine outside of that than you can within it. Because outside of it, there's room for growth. There's room for depth. There's room for exploration. There's room for mystery. There's room for wonder. Um, there's room for the divine to be bigger than we than we can comprehend. Yeah. Um, and not with not be fixed to a certain system. Yeah. Um, and that's much. I think. I think that's much a, a much healthier place to be. Yeah, I think people who are in it. I mean, as you know, I also am long out of evangelicalism and even you know, Pentecostalism, um, and before that Catholicism. So I have a very interesting faith journey, as you know. Um, but I think if you ask people in those circles in within evangelicalism and, and conservative Christianity, they would say like, oh, my faith is an adventure. And no, of course, God is unbridled. And of course, God will do what God will do and all of these things. But they also don't realize that they're working, you know, you know, circling around a very fixed point of understanding when it comes to meaning and when it comes to God and when it comes to divinity and how we're supposed to engage that. So I find conversations very, you know, very difficult um, with that sort of thinking at play. I'm sure you do as well. I do. I had a conversation the other day with somebody on, on social media about, you know, this where somebody who believes in religious certainty and is clearly within kind of evangelical fundamentalism, you know, we, we kind of push back on some of the, I challenged them and a friend of mine challenged them on something that they said in a very kind of respectful way, just looking for healthy dialogue and conversation. Like, okay, there's a, okay, your view is one view. There's another view. There's, you know, there's different outcomes, there's different perspectives and they're, they're all okay, including your one. Yeah. But she took yeah. it uh, as a, uh, as an attack, a personal attack. And it wasn't. Um, and, started deflecting uh and yeah it was it ended up ended up quite nasty you know and and that's because when and it, i was i felt sorry for them because what this is what happens when you're in certainty yeah you can't hear anyone's opinion but your own yeah um, it's right or it's wrong and it's there's like, i'm right else. you're wrong that's it <laughs> yeah you question yeah. me then you're attacking me and you're attacking yeah. what i believe and i'm like no we're not we're just saying it's a different perspective and that is okay you know um and it's because they're scared that if they actually have to accept that there's a different perspective then they might have to actually face up to reality face up to what's going on face up to what they're carrying you know and that's um yeah that's what goes on in in that in that context yeah no i i totally get it um it's interesting so you know zizek um who publishes, you know, prolifically came out with these two little books in the span of several months. So he came out with, um, I'll just hold, hold it up in case you ever do anything with this video, but he came out with panic COVID shakes the world, like last April, like he put this little book out, like right when the, within a month of the pandemic, it was amazing. And then just in the last month or two, he came out with pandemic Two: chronicles of a time lost. And they're really interesting reads. They're quick reads, even though, um, it's Zizek, it's really accessible. 
And he says at the end of the second book, you know, he talks about sort of what's next. And, you know, he's he's talking about, you know, these um, super right groups, not only in America, but, you know, all over the world, all over Europe, different places and whatnot, who are protesting mask wearing and protesting, you know, the government putting out orders in terms of like what people can do and what they can't do. And, you know, he kind of questions, is it truly like a, a will not to know? Is it truly a willful ignorance? And he says that he's... He's more persuaded by the fact that it's this deep existential anxiety in terms of, you know, are we still human if we act like this? Are we still human if our way of life is fundamentally changed because Mm. of this pandemic and what we're experiencing with? And he ultimately, you know, says, you know, will will we um, sort of uh, relinquish normality as we know it? Will we relinquish normality? being, you know, natural in order to behave unnaturally, Um, you know, because he says more than a biochemical health issue, you know, it's something that is really rooted in the complex totality of like our place as humanity in the world, in nature, in social and ideological relations. And it's the pandemic is more than just a virus, but it's it's lifted the veil on so much that we have been able to be willfully and woefully ignorant about for a very long time. Um, and now we have to face it. And facing it is causing us to act in ways that are unnatural to us and really kind of disrupting like you know, our lives on a fundamental level. And so like, are we willing to do that? And he says that it is really scratching out the eyes of, you know, our existential peace and certainty, which, you know, I think that that's kind of just, just an illusion anyway. Um, but, you know, German um, virologist, um, Hendrik Streak, I don't know if you you heard this was kind of like a famous thing he he said that there is actually no second or third wave when it comes to COVID-19. We're just in a permanent wave. You know, everybody's kind of been talking about the different strains and strands and the mutations and the first, second, third wave, fourth wave, whatever. But, you know, this particular scientist is saying, no, this is a permanent wave. This is a way of life shift. And it will create, I know people have been saying this you know, phrase of new normal and everybody's just kind of sick to death of hearing it, but truly a new, a new normal. It's not just like this trendy set of words we put together, but it's truly, you know, will subvert the very foundations of life as, as we know it. And so, you know, what does it mean to think of a present and a future that will be completely, you know, inside out different? We can't really comprehend that, you know? at the moment yeah i'm really intrigued to see what happens when we are allowed to go out again we are allowed to you know do things when things open again um when the world opens again yeah yeah when most people have had the vaccine and things like that because i have a sense that some people think it's just going to all go back to normal like it was before i think people Um, hope you know right they 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 really believe that it's it's going to be exactly the same as before that it'll be like the pandemic never happened and yeah, and even from the beginning, even like a year ago when this first started, I was and I, I knew I knew that knew that wasn't going to be the case. Yeah, yeah. I just knew I knew intuitively that it was we're not going to go back to what what we were like before. It, it, it was, even if we go out and start living in the world again, it's going to be different. Yeah, it's going to be different because because um, people will be much more because psychologically people will be like I mean I know when I go out and see my friends the next time. 
Yeah. It's going to be like, I'm going to be like, because I'm so conditioned now to wear yeah. masks and social distance and all of these things, yes. when you don't have to anymore, you're going to be like, okay, I've got to actually make an effort to yeah. do this again because I'm, yeah. you know, we're going to have to all step out of our comfort zones yeah. again. Getting and so hyper aware of like, yeah, are you breathing on me? Am I washing my hands? Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to have to think about, you know, are we going to, have to still have to wear a mask when we go out? That might be, that might be necessary, you know, uh, and different ways of doing things. Um, different just little things that people will still be working from home. People aren't all going to suddenly fly back to their offices because I mean, my job is an example of that. My job, we found that, I don't need to go into the office to do my job, really. Yeah. I do it all at home. And it saves them money because it means they don't have to, you know, provide an office for, for us, you know. So, um, yeah, things won't go back to as they were. Um, and there's going to be a lot of grief that's going to come to the surface at that point for a lot of people. That We've all been carrying a lot of grief. I've, I've said this a lot yeah. on the podcast, that we've all been carrying a lot of grief in this period. It's all going to come to the surface when we have to, well, not go back to normal, but when we start going out into the world again and realize and realize that actually it's changed and yeah. it's not going to be the same as it was before. Yeah, truly. I don't know if you've kind of heard this thesis of like the new roaring 20s. <laughs> um, it's getting a lot of press right now and it's coming mm. from a book that was written by a Yale professor named uh, Nicholas Christakis. I think that's how his last name is pronounced. Um, but he wrote this book recently, Apollo's Arrow, The Profound and Enduring Impact of Coronavirus on the Way We Live. And he's basically saying that just like the Spanish flu pandemic of 1918 ushered in the roaring 20s, um, that this pandemic will do the same. And it's going to be really, um, you know, making up for lost time in terms of like social interactions and what we're going to see from artists and fashion designers and writers and within commerce, and that there's going to be a reverse of religion or religiosity rather, because people want to be free and they want to go a little bit wild. And, you know, there's this revelation that life is too short. There's going to be, you know, new sexual explorations and escapades. And there's just going to be really just an overall indulgence of life, you know, and he says, maybe this won't happen right away. In his book, he says, um, maybe the earliest we'll start to see this kind of renaissance is 2024, because he says, you know, that's his projection of like, when all the vaccines will have been able to be administered, and you know, the socioeconomic recovery and all of that. But he says, we know we're basically going to go through this sort of unbridled time of just living life and being creative and getting out there in the world again. So, you know, that that's on, he's not the only one who's saying it, but he's kind of popularized the, the theory. So, you know, it really will be interesting to see what happens because even though, as I said earlier in our talk, Christianity is on a decline, um, you know, uh, surveys and data and research companies like Pew Research, for instance, um, had an article recently and a, a survey recently that shows that there is uh, a slight uptick in interest in Christianity within America specifically. Um, and they looked at other Western nations and there really was no close second. Um, so it's almost like people are slightly more interested in God and religion and belief right now. I think people need that to kind of comfort themselves through this time. I would also ask the question, you know, what is the actual interest in? Are people just feeling the need to sort of 
you know, <laughs> uh, lean on something that kind of makes them feel better about what's happening right now. And will they kind of forsake that, you know? So, you know, there's mm-hmm. almost this, this lean in towards religion right now. Um, but there could be a huge lean away from it as people really want to indulge in. in yeah, life. I think that's right. There's a, it could be a, it could be both. Yeah. Because, because you could have, and this is probably my fear that some people, when they face the, the the new reality that we're faced with, that they will want to, they will want to run and hide in uncertainty, yeah. and something that is at least fixed and known and certain and uh, you know kind of it means they can escape from dealing with what they're having to deal with. So yeah. you could see an upturn in you know <laughs> in religious certainty. Um, and at the same time, I think a whole bunch of other people will will try and escape from reality by what you're talking about—the indulgence and the excess and the you know all of those kind of things. And there'll be it could also just be a really create. It could be a creatively productive time as well. Yeah, I don't no, think yeah, I agree with that because I think, Mary. I think when people are dealing with a lot of grief and trauma, that is a re- that's really conducive to creativity. Really conducive. Because um, when you look at the, I've always had a fascination with this. Like the 1980s was not a good time in you know in the UK certainly, um, especially kind of in in the north. Um, lots of poverty, lots of hardship, and out of that period came a lot of great new fresh music. Um, yeah. You know? um, in the 90s, Punk, right? right? <laughs> At least in the early 80s. Yeah, yeah, punk, right? Yeah. At least, yeah. yeah, and even in the nineties as well, certain areas um, like Manchester, you had you had the emergence of a lot of music coming out of Manchester in the early nineties, and that was because when 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 there's nothing else left, like people start creating, you know, people start um, reflecting on things and spending time making things, and yeah, you have a, like a lot of creativity is born in suffering, and so. Uh, yeah, I agree that a lot of people will will be creating things. We'll have a lot of fresh stuff. I mean, I've got I've got a few books I want to write. <laughs> um, hopefully, that will. <laughs> so hopefully, I'll be part of that. You know. Um, so uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think yeah, I think there'll be these people who are kind of in between the two kind of the two kind of extremes who are kind of like, okay, I acknowledge what's going on, I feel it, I experience it, and I'm going to enjoy myself as well. You know, um, I'm going to explore. I'm going to have adventures. I'm going to make the most of it because, I mean, actually, one of the things that that, that this has brought home to me is that you know nothing is certain and nothing and that nothing is predictable, and you don't know how long you've got. You don't know what's around the corner, and you need to make the most of every moment. And yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it's a lesson that life keeps teaching us, but <laughs> again and again. But now we're just learning it in a, in a really big way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean that's it's all really interesting. That you know, um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens and how people respond in the next in the next few years. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of issues that we need to grapple with, not only like issues of the pandemic, but the issues that the pandemic unmasked for, you know, all of us, yeah. you know, everything yeah. that has sort of happened, you know, all the the political 
um, just disasters. <laughs> um, you know, uh, like I said earlier, you know, climate change is, is pretty massive. Um, you know, the, the student debt, um, poverty, um, immigration, migration, um, you know, alternate facts. <laughs> um, there's, there's just so much um, that we could have just, you know, had an ignorance is bliss sort of mentality before, you know, systemic and institutional racism, you know, what's happening to people who aren't white, um, you know, just the, the monstrosity um, and the tragedy of whiteness as a construct and as power. It's, these are all things that we have got to deal with that we can't just say we didn't know or that we didn't intend for any of this. Uh, we can't just kind of bury our, our head in the sand because now if we do, after really having knowledge of it, we're just complicit and we're just an accomplice to all the injustice that's happening. Um, and it can get overwhelming, but just kind of understanding that we have to make strides <laughs> and yeah. be aware is is the first step. So the pandemic has done a lot in some ways. I mean, I don't want to minimize, I mean, what is it? 1.2 million deaths globally um, because of the, the pandemic now. So not minimizing, but in some ways you have to be thankful um, that the pandemic was the thing that you know, hopefully stopped the runaway train of society and capitalism and unbridled growth fetishes um, that if it kept going would have really destroyed things completely. So hopefully humanity has it in them to, to pull it out um, because, you know, kind of going back to Christianity and this whole idea of God is faithful. Um, people can be faithful, you know, pe people can save. Um, and, and they're about the only thing that can. So let's just hope that that humanity is inspired to restore and redeem and make all things new as we have been charged with since the beginning of time. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's an opportunity. It's a great yeah, opportunity. Certainly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you're right. Uh, well, this has been a really great conversation. As always, it's always a great conversation when when you're around. Uh, you uh, too. So uh, where can people find your work? Yeah, absolutely. Um, hncogroup.com. Um, you can head there. Uh, I also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Maria FFM. Um, I do a lot of work there and create a lot of content there as well. So, yeah. Those are, or, or you can go to mariafrancescafrench.com and have links to all that stuff too. So you can find me in a few different places. Fantastic. I highly recommend all of it. Um, <laughs> do some amazing stuff. They've done some great courses in the last year or so, which are some of which I've been on as well. Yes, Incredible thank stuff. You. So thank you, um, definitely, definitely recommend those. So um, yeah, thanks, Maria. And um, thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>